Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Love, Healthy Love and Money podcast. I have Dr. Judy Butler with me today, and I am so excited that she's here to share her wisdom and perspective. She has created a whole program called The Guardian's Gift, which she's going to open up for us today and talk about what that is and what that means and why it's so relevant to you, even if you don't think it's relevant. We were just talking before the show started. She said, what my work seems like is like not really a necessity. It's just a pleasurable thing, like a kind of... But no, it's a necessity, and I'm in total agreement. So I hope by the end of this episode, you'll be ready to sign up for The Guardian's Gift, at least the ideas that Dr. Butler has to share with us. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Dr. Butler. Thank you so much, Ed. I am so excited to be here and have this opportunity to share with your listeners and uh, just talk about love and money as it pertains to aging parents and adult children and how that works for The Guardian's Gift. That's great. Well, before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've gotten to this place? I started out just as a normal, everyday adult daughter looking after mom and dad, which a lot of people do. Sons too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. Guys do get the caregiving role as well. They do. And it's a tough job. But through that process of trying to make sure that my parents had what they needed, particularly my father who had dementia, um, I learned some really tough lessons, uh, some financial, some emotional, spiritual. Uh, But I learned a lot about nursing homes and Medicaid, Medicare, and that was when I was a little bit younger. And so I wasn't really uh, as tuned with it then as I am today. But it's amazing what is required to look after someone. And my parents had a will. They had health care power of attorney and some of the regular legal documents that a lot of you know people think, well, I have that. That's really all I need. But what I discovered is that's not nearly enough planning and pre-planning to enter those stages of life. Um, And I ended up spending like $35,000 one year looking after my mom and dad. Wow. That was, you know, I had to hire attorneys and we had a a hearing with the Department of Social Services because my mother was not physically able to look after dad any longer. So we had to make some really tough choices. And one was to put dad into a nursing home. And um, still, if I cry, please bear with me, folks. Of course. Tears are welcome, of course. It's tough to talk about. Um, But Dad had to go into a nursing home. And so for them to do that, my family was very middle class, lower middle class, working, blue collar people. Uh They didn't have any money or long-term care insurance or any of those items that facilitate being looked after in a I guess, a more positive atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So 
Department of Social Services said, you got to sign your house over, talking to my mother. Mm. And my mother's like, no, I am not. That's the only thing I really have. That's the thing that your dad and I worked for our entire lives was a house, a home. Mm. And so trying to figure all that out and juggle that, like I said, hiring an attorney and having the hearing, those are some really tough lessons. So going through all of that and what it cost me emotionally, spiritually, financially, physically, (laughs) uh, I said, you know, the guardian's gift, it wasn't that then. And I said, nobody should have to go through what I've been through. So this is the powerful backdrop that leads you to create this program, the guardian's gift. Right? Yes. It is your thrust into caring for your aging parents. There's issues around getting social services involved, hiring attorneys. You're actively involved in all of this process. Mm-hmm. It's costing you spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically. Mm-hmm. Those are the big buckets, right, of just being a human? Yeah. And so out of that, you've created the Guardian's Gift. So can you tell us what, what is the Guardian's Gift? The Guardian's Gift is an experience. It is a transformation of going from thinking about estate planning, which is more about your stuff, your assets, if you will. Sure. It's a change in thought, and it's a change in going from just having legal documents to having a full legacy. And what I mean by that is, as a pastor for senior adults, and just as a person who's worked with seniors for a really long time, I learned and know that people like to tell their story. Mm. They don't like to talk about death and dying. (laughs) You can say that again. So I decided that part of what is really important as a pastor when you get ready to do a funeral for a family is learning the stories. You go to the family and you say, tell me about your loved one. Well, what happens is people are dealing with the loss and the emotions and the stress of, you know, the death. So they can't really pull up a lot of stories necessarily. But if the person who has passed already has those in place, the person who has passed gets to tell their stories the way they want them told. Uh. First part of the guardian's gift is about telling your story. It's about telling it your way. You get to tell those. And we have prompts. We ask questions. It's online. You go in. There's a question. You answer the question. You know, like, where were you born? Uh-huh. And what was life like where you grew up? Where did you grow up? Who was your best friend? Did you have any pets? If so, do you have any pictures? So it, the first part of it is storytelling. Then there's a component of collection of information. I, I ask people to collect their birth certificates, their you know awards, their diplomas, their grades if they have them. Mm-hmm. We, some of us don't want to put our grades in there. <laughs> yep, that would be me. Uh, so I say put those in and let your kids and your grandkids and the rest of your descendants know what things were like for you. There's a component of genealogy. I love doing genealogy. And that was one of the things that my father and I did together. Was we would go to cemeteries and he would say, well, when I was a kid, and he would tell me his stories. Uh, and he would connect people in the family tree for me. 
well, that was great uncle so-and-so, and this is what they were like. Mm -hmm. So there's a component of genealogy where you list your siblings and some, you know, not too far out relatives. We don't get into genealogy per se, but, you know, who are your brothers and sisters and, you know, those kinds of things. Sure. Then there's a financial where we get to a place in the storytelling that takes you up to where you currently are in life. And we begin to look at the money. This is where you come in. Yeah. And we look money as far as do you have long-term care insurance well if you don't you probably need it before a certain age because mm -hmm. at a certain point in life you can't get it anymore that's right but pay for nursing homes and you know in-home care um and those kinds of things that really are very expensive so people are funny about money though oh and you know that you can say that phrase if people are funny about money we are all funny about money no one's uh, exempt from that one yeah so what i have learned is that at senior adults aging parents they don't want to tell their children their business mm -hmm. because they say well they just want my money <laughs> <laughs> they do want your money <laughs> but they want they can look after you they want to help you not get scammed or taken advantage of, and they just want to take care of you. Now, yes, there are some people in the world that are there and they're looking after their own interest and not the interest of their family. Mm -hmm. But when they go through the guardian's gift, having an outside person actually help them look at their financial situation in light of what is to come or the possibilities, because then we look at their health. You know, as we age, we begin to have health issues, some of us. Sure. And, okay, how does that factor in? Did your mom or dad die from a heart attack or cancer? Or what is the possibility of what you might inherit from, you know, through DNA or, you know, whatever? Right. Maybe from your lifestyle, you know. Sure. Let's look at those things. What's coming down the road for you? Then we figure out what that looks like as far as what you might need going forward. And then, of course, we do get to a place where we talk about death and dying in a very healthy way. A lot of people are very superstitious that if I talk about it, I'm going to die. Well, but you're going to die anyway. I have news for you. So let's <laughs> talk about it in a healthy way and talk about, you know, do you want to be buried? Are you a conservationist? Are you interested in preserving the earth? And would you prefer a green burial? That's become a very popular choice for people. Sure. So we actually go all the way from birth through death and also afterwards then, what is an executive supposed to do? What are they responsible for? How do they conduct the business after everything is said and done? So it's we work people all the way through everything. What do you see as someone's gone from this gone through this process? I know you use the word transformational and so what do you watch as they go through these different elements or aspects of the guardian's gift? How do you see them change as a person? How do you see the broader family culture maybe even shift? The first thing that, you know, that I aim for is to change the perception of what it means to have a legacy. Because a lot of people associate estate planning with just the legal documents or the right. finance. And they associate legacy as something... Uh, their stories or what wisdom they leave. Mm. And 
people believe that it's okay just to tell their stories and not actually write them down and document them. Mm-hmm. And part of the transformation is in realizing that you can tell a story and you can tell it lots of different ways. But if you have documentation to actually back it up, just for instance, you know, the high school that I graduated from, we were called the Fighting Scots in Scotland County, North Carolina, and they wear kilts. And what does that mean? What did that mean to me? Well, I can actually have pictures of my high school. I have my diploma. I have, you know, pictures of me during certain things that I did in high school. So the stories that I tell then are documented with pictures, with certificates, with diplomas, with documents. So this is about creating your legacy that's actually documented. And so when your descendants look back, they have that connection, that through line, if you will. So people transform and they actually begin to see that they can have a complete legacy. It's amazing. They get, they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do this this way. Well, the legacy does include your will and your legal documents. And all of that is a part of it. Sure. So, you know, I'm thinking about, one of the phrases I, I often find myself saying is discovering that our parents or grandparents are people before their parents or grandparents. Yes. And I'm thinking about how this like journey of uh, grandparents or parents taking the time to really document their life story as a person mm-hmm. gets helps people to know their parents and, and grandparents in a very different way than the narrow role that they probably look at them through. Well, one of the things that I've discovered, I was working with a fellow and he had cancer. And so we worked on his guardian's gift and got it together. And he um, was in a second marriage. And so he had children from his first marriage. And so after he passed, his children didn't know that he was putting together the guardian's gift. Mm. So when they looked, sat down and looked at his book, it's an actual physical book in the end. Okay. And looking through and reading the stories and actually looking at his pictures and his documents that we included, they turned and they said, you knew things about our dad that we never knew. Mm-hmm. And we, this is amazing. We did not know this. And not only did they not know it, but it connected some of their own personal beliefs and habits to their dad, to their grandfather, in a way that was just totally, it was extraordinary. It just really enhances that sense of meaning making, right? I, I feel like I've come to appreciate as humans one of the most important things, both for our, our really for our mental health and well-being, is meaning making. Like it, mm-hmm. just the process of making meaning is a part of maintaining or growing our mental health and well-being. And right. when we get to see these stories and hear them, oh, now I understand myself so much better or differently or wow now i see where dad was coming from on that or mom right that's is that what we're kind of talking about it is it's exactly what we're talking about you know there's also the piece um where sometimes the person who's creating the guardian's gift is hesitant to tell a story or to relate something that happened to them and um, i'm working with a lady in florida And she was talking about uh, her modeling career in New York. And she was like, well, 
I don't know if I should include some of these pictures. And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, you should. Not only because they're beautiful, but because your granddaughters or your granddaughters-in-law, the girls that come behind you in your line will actually be able to look at that and see, you know, how was it to be a model then? But not only that, but how you turn to education and how you had not only, you know, the modeling, you had the beauty and the brains. Mm. And what it means to them as females in your line and other females that may or may not hear your story. But some people are very hesitant because some people have had a dark past. But working through the guardian's gift also has a therapeutic um, component to it that allows people to go back and revisit some of the choices that they made in their life that they're not particularly happy about. And maybe they didn't have a lot of choices at that time, but to be able to talk about it and explain it and leave a message like, I know you guys, your family either thought I was nuts or didn't agree, but here is why I did what I did. Grace and mercy that's also built into mm. telling your story and revisiting those moments and looking at it in a different way or explaining it. Mm. And so that gives people a peace. They have such a calmness about it afterwards. Yeah, Dr. Butler, as you were sharing that, I just almost I noticed some tears coming forward for me thinking about that and on my own journey of healing and growing and maturing learning some of my mom's story and more of the complexities of it has softened my own feelings towards her, right? And the, the misunderstandings and frustration points. And it, it's, I think it, it seems to me as a student of psychology and you're a psychologist, right? So, when we study human development, it's, we don't, we can't really understand our parents as children, or we, we can only understand our parents in a certain way as children. But as adults and maturing adults, really one of the adult developmental tasks is to kind of try to understand our parents from the lens of an adult, not just our own child understanding. That's part of what helps us mature and grow. Would you say that's? Oh, absolutely. And when we can, I think when at certain places in life, we, as you said, we can only understand from that point of view because we don't have the experience to understand um as an adult, you know, if you're a kid, you can only understand kid stuff. <laughs> and you only understand teenage stuff. Right. And so, um, but being able to look at our aging parents or our deceased parents, typically at the point when someone gets the guardian's gift, it gives them a time capsule. That's why it's called a time capsule. Mm -hmm. It gives them not only items or stories, but it puts it in context for them. So it creates a, well, this is why I did this. I did it because at that time in life, maybe in that century or time period, that era, these things were not available to me. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of a client in particular where she's really working hard to understand that like she was a quote, air quotes, illegitimate child, right? Right. In my own view, no child is illegitimate. They're they're all right. special creatures. But that said, she's trying to work through this, and it's you know trying to work through like why did mom do this? Why was it such a secret? And that 
trying to help her imagine some of the larger context and mm-hmm. not to minimize the feeling of feeling like an outsider and isolated, which was very profound, but it's this interesting back and forth. And so, I can imagine how helping people tell their richer, more nuanced story helps the, the storyteller as well as the inheritors of that story. Right. Well, you know, my own mother was considered an illegitimate child. Mm. And, you know, if you think about the time period when she was born, my mother's 87. And 87 years ago when she was born, um, to be born out of wedlock was horrible, was, you know, sinful. I mean, right. not only was it looked down morally, but ethically and every way you can think, spiritually, everything. Right. So as an adult child, her adult child, I have had to deal with, you know, some of the things that she told me as I was growing up were out of what she believed to be true. So she raised me out of that feeling of not being loved or wanted. And so sometimes it has a boomerang effect and goes the other way. But, you know, I've had to deal with some things my own self out of how she was. And so it is what you were saying a moment ago. It is about coming to a place in life where I can understand how she grew up. I can understand the circumstances and why she would feel the way she felt. And then in turn, why she raised me the way that she did. And that helps me make better decisions and better choices because then I can say, that's her stuff, not mine. It was about her, not about you. And yet, right, as children, though, we tend to personalize. Psychologically, we're wired to personalize a lot of the things that are happening from our parents. I think that's kind of part of, I mean, when it goes well, that's really good for us. We, we yeah. need to take on what our parents are teaching us because we're not full blank slates, but there's a lot of things we got to learn to fit into our particular context wherever we're born in the world. Yeah. But that also means we don't have much of a filter for what we should take or not take from mom and dad. Right. And so that's a really tough transition for people to make, I think, um, is to, I see it when I work with young adults, um, because I don't work with children necessarily, but young adults, sometimes when they're trying to decipher what is their own belief versus what they've been told or taught from their parents, because they now have an experience of going to college or being in the working world or or being out among other people and going, wait a minute, their family function's different than my family. Oh, yeah. So it's such a, a slap sometimes, you know, it's a really hard knock for people to see that and experience it. So they come in, they're like, well, nobody else does it this way. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> you don't have to either if you don't want to. <laughs> oh, man. It, I'm thinking about very much my own journey and through that transitional phase. And in some ways, to be honest, I, I feel like I'm just getting on the other side of it. But I feel like that was most of my 30s. Yeah. was reconciling, <laughs> you know, what I had been taught, what I was learning from the world, and then trying to come at my own, like, what does Ed believe about how the world works in light of all of these experiences? And, you know, I think what's refreshing is as challenging and painful as that that work can be, mm-hmm. recognizing that you're not, it's not unique to any individual to go through that, that that's a normative psychological process. And some of us move through it a little easier than others. Mm-hmm. Um 
but to some extent, all humans go through that. Is that fair to say? Oh, I think so. I think there is definitely, you know, when you're a kid, your mom and dad know everything and you know nothing. And so you go, okay, whatever mom said or dad said. But then when you start to school and you run into the, the <laughs> local, you know, fellas at school or girls at school and they go, well, my mama said this. And you're looking, well, that's not what my mama said. <laughs> that's so on point. I love it. I'm hearing the voice of my father-in-law in my head right now, but he said, you know, I, I just knew that I went from being my daddy's little girl or had daddy's little girl, my wife, to like, I didn't know anything. And I, you know, by the time she was a teenager and I'm, I'm getting into that with my 11 year old where he doesn't think I know nearly as much as he once did, which he, <laughs> but it's that perspective and realize like, oh, there's other people that understand the world differently than dad. Yeah. And so my father-in-law is fond of saying, like, you go from knowing everything in your child's eyes to knowing nothing to kind of, if the child makes it to the other side, they realize like, ah, dad did know a thing or two. I mean, I may not agree with it all, but there's, there yeah. is a normal arc there. And that's, I think, so important, right? In this, when we talk about the legacy and helping each generation transition through this work of the guardian's gift helps the generations move along through the different stages. It I imagine it really can reduce the anxiety and fear around death. You talked about nobody likes to talk about their own mortality, but how do we talk about it healthy? And I, I can imagine going through this process of the guardian's gift and I'm thinking, oh, why did I think about this? I've got, my parents are still alive and they're in that age where this would be very appropriate for them to go through and my in-laws. So Dr. Butler, you may have four new clients, you know, <laughs> after this interview, but yeah, there's just so much that's turning over my head, but I want to turn it back to you. You've had a really unique experience. TED Talks are so popular and so powerful, and you've had the benefit of giving two of them now, and you were saying before the show started, you're working on your third. Can you tell people about your TED Talk experience, what that was like for you, what the message was? I'm sure it's in line with this, but we'd love to know, like, what's it like to be on the TED stage? Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, Please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. I want to turn it back to you. You've had a really unique experience. TED Talks are so popular and so powerful. And you've had the benefit of giving two of them now. And you were saying before the show started, you're working on your third can you tell people about your TED Talk experience, what that was like for you, what the message was? I'm sure it's in line with this, but we'd love to know, like, what's it like to be on the TED stage? Oh, well, frightening. Uh, <laughs> it's, that may sound strange coming from somebody who, um, as a pastor, you know, I've done a lot of preaching and uh, done a lot of funerals, by the way. <laughs> but standing in front of people typically is not necessarily a thing for me. I know it is for a lot of people. Public sure. speaking is, is really one of the main anxieties that people have. But it was not a big deal for me. But standing on a TED stage was. And I think it had to do with the notion that what I was talking about was very personal. Mm. I was talking about my dad. 
and his passing. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about something that I feel extremely passionate about, Um, you know, getting things in order so that your adult children or your loved ones or whoever is going to have to look after you as you age and then eventually look after you, you know, your death, your estate when you pass. These are things I'm super passionate about. So it's about the, the nervousness, the, the being on edge, the fear that I experienced standing on the TED stage was that because it was so personal. I had to stop and because I was when I talk about dad and passing, mm-hmm. I tend to get very emotional and sometimes I cry. Sure. Um, but the passion also of trying to of wanting people to know this is so important and feeling like, you know, Again, this is my own stuff. I'm feeling like they're not going to listen to me. Why should they listen to me? Oh my god! <laughs> I appreciate your honesty there. That that old old brain, that old the old feelings of being unheard, unlistened to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but it's again the message very clear to me. The message is, people, please prepare. And it's not just about the legal documents. It is about having an estate plan that is more of a legacy than it is just a bunch of legal documents. Like I said, my parents had all their legal documents. My mother said, oh, they're in the top drawer of the chest in there. (laughs) So when I was having to go through all this, I went to the top drawer of the chest and I opened it and I was like, Oh my goodness! I and I closed it back. I <laughs> <laughs> probably pushed it, the door closed again. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I wait. And so, but if you go ahead and take care of it now and get it in order, get the stories told, get the documents in order, get everything in place, it is amazing what it does. Um, I worked with a couple, and. Afterwards, the man said to me, I really thought I knew what this was. He said, but I didn't have a clue. He <laughs> said, this is so much more expansive than anything I've ever seen anywhere. That's what I I can see that just lighting you up on the, your face. Like that's mission accomplished, right? Is that people realize, like, it's funny because this you create a, help them create a book, but don't judge this book by its cover. Like what's inside yeah. of it is so powerful and I don't know who says this, and maybe you do, is that we all have a book within us. Mm-hmm. And this is a chance to really have your book, your life book, created. And you're guided through it, so you don't have to figure out, well, what questions should I be asking myself? What should I, what, what story should I tell? It's the prompts are there to make it really pretty easy. It's almost paint by numbers. I mean, you got to do some work. You, right? you did. Um, if somebody, we ha- I have it set up in different um, tiers, if you will. Yeah. And there's a version where someone could go online and do it, uh, do it themselves. You mm-hmm. know, sign in. The question comes up, you answer the question. Next question comes up, you answer the question. And there's a checklist that tells you what documents, what pictures. You know, it prompts mm-hmm. you through every step of the way. But one of the things that I'm discovering in working with people is that more people say, I want to do this or I'll start it, and then they don't. Or they'll start and they get in and don't complete it. So there is an ability piece that's huge for this. 
So we have group sessions. I have one-on-ones available, you know, those kinds of things that actually hold people accountable. I was working with a fella who used to be an attorney and he did not have a will. And so I said, uh, that's not acceptable. <laughs> so we worked through and are working through his guardian's gift. And he said, you know, without the accountability piece, I never would have gotten this done. He said, you made it so simple and you held my feet to the fire. And I do that. Um, <laughs> that now I'm going to have everything in place that I need. Well, and I think that accountability and just the presence of a caring other person can make a huge difference, right? Because this this material is going to trigger a lot of fears and anxieties and sometimes even shame and anger and remorse. Mm-hmm. And that side of the human emotional experience, most of us, yeah, let's go do something more fun. Right. <laughs> so. Fun is because people think this is not going to be fun. It's not going to be enjoyable. But it is working through it. People have such a good time walking down memory lane, talking about their child, talking about who their best friend was and the things they did, the trouble they got into, whether they <laughs> stole or not. You know, right. their first love. Oh my gosh, my first love. And so, uh-huh. you know, their car, their first home, you know, their first job, all those things, the first. But then, how did they? grow through it? What wisdom do they want to leave? Well, I, I love hearing that the, the first, all the different first. And I think just again, naming that this is universal as humans, right? It's yes. part of our, the way our brains, I, I, I guess, it, at least as I understand it at this point, something first is new and novel to our brain. And so like it has a much greater intensity to it. Uh, you know, thinking about learning to drive a car, I can remember being in the Toys R Us parking lot with my dad, learning to drive my mom's Honda Civic. And uh, wow, even as I'm going on my memory lane, I'm remembering, what was the toy? I think Toy Story was really big then. And there was a Woody, you know, toy yeah. dropped in there. I put him in the car and he rode with me forever. But could I tell you three weeks later what it was like driving the car after I'd gotten through all that? I have no, you know, it was just normal. So those firsts are so important. And being able to relive them. Do you, I don't know if you know any of the brain research, but activating those memory networks, is that good for brain health even? Oh, it actually, you know, anytime that we can, if we bring up a memory, and again, this is part of the, I would consider the therapeutic part of it, right. is being able to connect that memory in a healthy way and why it was important to you. Of course, if it's a first, yes, that's going to be important anytime. Mm-hmm. But if you can connect that to something that now triggers, and it does almost always when I work with people, they will trigger something else. And it leads to a cascading kind of effect where they're able to bring it forward and go, well, no wonder I don't like potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know the backstory on why someone doesn't love some potatoes because, man, I love I love some potatoes. That's another time. <laughs> That's another podcast, yeah. the, the potato but, podcast. Yeah, but, it, you know, it's that type of thing. You know, when there's been a trauma in someone's life, mm-hmm. sometimes people have difficulty talking about the trauma. But if they can talk about it, that opens up so many healthy doors for lots of people. Because they can tell not only about the trauma and what that was like, 
but they can also talk about how they healed or what healing did occur and maybe even what healing they would like to go forward into. And so Mm -hmm. it also gives them a place where they currently stand in life. It's like standing still and being able to look forward and backward all at the same time. That's such a powerful image is just imagine if you're in a safe place and you're listening to this podcast right now, you're not driving down the road. I hope. (laughs) I hope. But if you are, maybe when you get home, but what would you think if someone were to just stop right now and just kind of like almost turn their body 180 degrees and look backwards and just recognize there's so much life back there and then turn back forward and say, man, there's still, there's always life ahead of us as long as we're alive, right? Right. But there's a through line. Yes. And that's maybe part of what the guardian's gift is helping to develop for people too, is it's, there's really a continuity to your story if you take the time to look for it. Right. There is a kind. And I'm sure that you're aware about family systems and for the listener, the patterns that our families, not just us, but us as a part of a family, what roles do we play Mm -hmm. and how do those play out? And those patterns are repetitive across generations and people don't always recognize, well, that was what I'm living my life like my grandparents, maybe, in the way that I am relating to other people. You know, mm-hmm. talk about being introverts or extroverts or how you shake hands or how you always. My husband and his family, we tease them. They're the hey, how you, hey, how you, hey, how you. <laughs> because, okay. Hey, how you? And so I'm like, what? I said, you don't even know these. He's like, well, that's okay. We can say, hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm noticing even as you share that, like the inflection in your voice lifts and changes that probably mirrors some of what they're doing, right? And that's, that's what's so cool when you study some of the brain science behind it. And we're not going to go crazy on brain science today, but like mirror neurons help us recognize and mimic different patterns. So, we really do take on what our parents do and how they do it and the broader culture. Yes. It's just so amazing how all that works. Now, I want to shift the focus before we get to the end of this podcast because there is something difficult that I want the listeners to get your guidance and help on. So, they've been listening to this great podcast, all this stuff. They're saying, okay, yeah, Dr. Butler, yeah, yeah, I get this. This makes sense. But you don't know my parents. You don't know my parents. I, I don't know that I could really talk to them about it what would you what would you say to them? How would you help them? Well, the the notion is you have to decide what you want to talk to them about. Mm. And what happens for a lot of adult children is they go in like a bull in child shop and they try to um, be very forceful with what they're going to say. And as a therapist, one of the things that has worked well for me personally outside of the therapy office is learning to ask questions. Mm-hmm. It's about just asking instead of, well, mama, you need to, you know, you need to think about this. This is what we need to do. It's about asking, you know, mom, how can we get this accomplished? What what would you like to have done? It's about collaboration. Mm-hmm working together instead of trying to drive 
the bus and hope that they get on and <laughs> buckle up. There's a, I mean, in the, right, I think they talk a lot about when the adult children try to become parents to their parents. Right. And, and then sometimes that can be a long-standing pattern in the family where the child has felt like they've, they're the parent to the parent. Whether mm -hmm. the parents ever asked them to do that or not is a whole other question. Right. But that's yeah. that rebalancing, too, in the family system that sometimes needs to happen. Is that right? Yes. It's really difficult. And one of the things, um, because... I'm the oldest in my, uh, my, just my brother and me. Yeah. And I've always been accused of being the bossy big sister. Uh -huh. And so I know that about myself. It's hard to hear, but I actually had owned that at some point. Yes, I can be a bossy big sister, um, but I can also be a bossy daughter. And, uh, <laughs> uh -huh. So I have learned that, you know, through my own therapy and counseling, that it's a good thing to ask the question. Even when my father was in the very latter stages of his dementia, it was not about trying to convince him, Dad, you have dementia and therefore you don't know what you're talking about or that doesn't make any sense. It's about having compassion. Mm -hmm. And what we were talking about earlier, it's about being able to um, understand your parents as an adult. Mm. what they were like and what they went through in their lives. So as an adult, I can actually now just work more collaboratively. I can have more compassion. It's about asking the questions. Well, what do you think? Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just a simple question. Well, mom, what do you think? Mm. And then having conversation, but not about everything. Sometimes adult children come in and they want to talk about, the finances and the funeral and the what are you going to do with the house and what are you going to do with the car and you don't need to be driving oh my gosh it, talk about one thing at a time i was wondering if that's kind of the natural like piece is really so maybe one of the steps prior to even is kind of doing a brain dump of all the things you feel like you need to talk to your parents about and then mm -hmm. looking at it and then figuring out what's really important and how can we maybe just have a conversation on on the, this important piece and trust that we'll get to these other pieces? But if it's just coming at mom and dad, mom or dad, like, well, what are we going to do with the house? And you need to stop driving and the nursing home's ready to enroll you. And if you don't get this done and have you done your Medicare thing yet? And, and so what happened is that people don't prepare. They think, like I said, that they have a will or a healthcare power of attorney. They've got all they need. But they don't do all the other preparation ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So what happens is people end up in a crisis where mom or dad fall or they get lost because their dementia has gotten to a place where they can't remember how to get back home. So things happen. And when they get in a crisis situation, then everybody starts trying to do everything all at one time. Right. That's why the guardian's gift is so great because... We help them work through all of these questions one at a time. We work through what does it look like for you to be incapacitated? You know, um, you have a child that's on drugs or you have a child that you haven't spoken to in five or six years. You're estranged or and maybe you've got one child that's close by that does everything, you know, because that's going to create whatever decisions and discussions. That's going to create turmoil for that 
child or those children later. So do you really want to be that person who leaves your children in a hot mess? I think this is the second episode that we're going to record in the future (laughs) is because this is, this is the real meat here. This is where a lot of families end up, unfortunately. And it's (laughs) this uh, going through the guardian's gift, I imagine is a great attempt at trying to reconcile some of the past pains in the family story. Because that, that, cut off or a strange child and the over responsible one are such common archetypes or character types and families but it leaves when the parents aren't able to address that it leaves them the siblings still at odds so much and yeah and you know and i guess in some ways right there's it would be easy to wag our fingers and say oh you parents you know but unless someone teaches them how to balance those things out balance the scale, so to speak, with their kids, mm-hmm. it's very hard to get that changed. It is. And, you know, sometimes I can, I can honestly say sometimes we don't get all of it changed. Sure. But what happens is through the explanation and through the going through the guardian's gift, the parent or the aging person then has a perspective of how everything fits. Right. Where they because estate planning has always been piecemeal. Mm-hmm. We do like I said, the legal part or we'll have a financial person and we'll do the financial part or, you know, even if you don't have those kinds of documents or people helping you, maybe you have a savings account. Well, you know, a lot of people in a certain generation didn't have insurance. They didn't mm-hmm. have any. Well, then, you know, well, who's going to bury them? Who's going to pay for the funeral? Then the children step up and one steps up. Well, you should pay more because you make more money than I do. And so because these things are not worked out ahead of time, it still keeps family strife going from generation to generation. Yeah, the, the family financial strife is a big deal and the fairness and justice in the family yeah. across the siblings and that well, you make more money, so you should be more responsible. And working through that is really important material to work through. Yes. Or, you know, sometimes it's just physical location. Well, you live closer, so you should take care of them. I live across the country. Now, you know, there are ways that someone who does not live close by can be an important part of caregiving for their parents or their family members and actually give some relief to the person who is close by and doing a large portion of it. So there's, there's things that people don't think about or they don't think are available to them. There's a way to sit down and have those conversations. And sometimes it takes a third party like myself or my team to actually help families work through the questions and answers. Because like, you know, like we said a moment ago, people are funny about money. And so <laughs> when you're about money, one thing, but it's also very physically draining on one person in a family to look after, you know, the, the aging parent where the other siblings or other family members don't help out. So it just works that way sometimes. It does. It does. So, Dr. Butler, if people wanted to get in touch with you and how, what's the best way for them to find you and get connected with you? The, we'll put put this in the show notes too. So if you can't jot it down right now, it'll be there in the show notes wherever you're listening to this. But yeah. how can people connect with you? 
Well, they can always reach me at my email, which is Judy at theguardiansgift.org.org. They can go on the website, um, www.theguardiansgift.com um, or .org. Either way, they can Google The Guardian's Gift and it will come up. And there's my little TED Talk will pop right up there. And so they can find me just about any way. I'm on Facebook. There's The Guardian's Gift. There's Judy Butler. And there's Butler Counseling and Consulting. So they can find me just about anywhere. They just put my name in. They'll find me. Well, this has been an incredible time together. Your warmth and kindness shine through brightly and your knowledge and expertise, even more importantly, on helping families navigate this incredible transition in life. And I'll tell you what, it's left me thinking about what I need to do next with my uh, my own parents and my own in-laws and my wife. And yeah, a lot of this is very personal for me as well. And so anybody that's listening, you're not alone in this. You don't have to go it alone. There's wonderful people like Dr. Butler out there and myself that are happy to help you go on the journey, be on the journey, provide support, and help you find other ways to get the support you need. All right. Well, Dr. Butler, thank you so much for your time. And until next time, take care. Thank you. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.